0: This is the Love and Sex Unfiltered podcast, hosted by licensed marriage and family therapist and certified Gottman Method couples therapist, Sonia Jensen. Let's dive into the unfiltered side of what it takes to create communication, intimacy, and chemistry, not just in relationships with a partner, but the relationship you have with you. Here's your host, Sonia Jensen.
1: Welcome to another session of the Love and Sex Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Jensen, and I'm super excited because I have two guests with me today. I have my hubby, Eric. Eric, say hi.
2: Hello, everybody.
1: And I have our really close friend, Andrew, who has never filmed a podcast before to come chat with us. Say hi, Andrew. Hello.
2: Hello, everyone.
1: So, I, Andrew came to stay with us this week to go tubing with my husband. And when I first walked in the door from working today, I said, Andrew, you're going to film a podcast with me today. He <laughs> was like, Sure, let's do it.
3: Let's do it. Little did I know she was serious.
1: I'm super serious. Anybody who comes over, I'm like, let's film a podcast. It'll be super <laughs> fun. So, I really want, we were talking about like what we want the topic of the discussion to be about today. And one of the things I love about Andrew is that whenever he comes to our house, You know, he just has this deep ability to have depthy conversation. He's really good at being vulnerable. And I think one of the things that really projects and emanates from him is his ability to be authentic. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you all have met Eric before. And we've had some candid conversations about our relationship on the podcast. And I know he was a fan favorite, so I wanted to welcome him back. But with this being a show about love and sex... Andrew is in his 20s. Mm-hmm, 25. He is, and he's dating. I am again. Again. Back in the pool. Yeah. So that means you had a pause.
3: Definitely had a pause. Yeah. A relatively large hiatus, I would think, especially considering my age. Yeah. Um, the typical amount of time that men my age go, go without or go being single. It was almost two years. Two
1: years without, like, not dating anybody.
3: Yeah, no serious relationships. I wasn't perfectly pure during that time.
1: What?
3: I didn't have have any serious relationships where I was committed in anybody's life and, you know, adding to them or vice versa. It was much more of a solitary, I kind of know some things that I need to take care of for myself. I don't really want to attract anybody right now. I'd rather attract them. In the future, once I've gone through some of these inconvenient but necessary steps.
1: I love that you say that because a lot of times married couples specifically who I work with or people in committed relationships. They often didn't have the time, the resources. They didn't know how to figure themselves out before they got into a committed relationship and ended up having you know a lot of struggles to figure out who they are what they want and a big part of sex i've been trying to talk on the podcast is all about knowing yourself right Why well, you imagine that and having to ask yourself difficult questions having to show up as the person that you really want to be and hopefully you know have a partner that is is doing that as well and right. you know together you're enriching each other's lives Absolutely. intimately and sexually right? right
3: but would you agree in- you're much more experienced in this. I just have observational data to work with. But would you agree that the couples that tend to do that on the individual basis, that that self-discovery, if you will, and that ability to express themselves, you know, articulately that having that and then joining another partner that also has it do you see that there's more success typically oh, for and perhaps sure. even more intimacy and more sex in those relationships
1: for sure because one of my favorite things to say is sex is a conversation and if you struggle with communicating it's going to be really hard for you to say, hey, I really like this or I want this because there's going to be this vulnerability factor there, right? Like, right. Am I allowed to ask for this? Sure. Am I going to be judged for this? Right.
3: Do I have the confidence to execute asking Ex- for this? Exactly.
1: And, exactly.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So totally that, that does make sense.
1: And that's why I love that you, you recently just did this whole hiatus from you. You had a good job. You got the degree, you kind of forged the path. Right. And then you kind of decided this isn't me and I don't know who I am and I'm okay with figuring that out as I go along. And then you and I had conversations about how you didn't want to involve a romantic partner in the midst of that, as you were trying to find yourself.
3: Right. Yeah. Very good synopsis, you know, going even from the degree I've got mine for the listeners, I've got a degree in finance and that path I chose when I was younger, like usually when obviously most people are choosing what their futures are going to be, you got this decision to make when you decide to go to college and it's like, well, how do I want to use this opportunity, but also this very expensive investment to get to that next place in life. And I think the problem with the timing of having to make that large of a decision is you're not always sure. Yeah. You know, some kids are lucky. They've got a good foundation or maybe they don't. They've just got good intuition as kids and they can figure themselves out. You know, they've got a vision, they've got an idea, they've got a direction, and then they can use college to really propel themselves down that route, which it's a wonderful tool for But then you've got other people. You know, guys and girls like myself who aren't sure. Right. And they're not sure who they are, they're not sure what they want out of life. Um, they may not even be sure why they make some of the decisions that they make. Right. You have that (laughs) it's like try to find a partner. You're trying to find a partner, (laughs) but you don't know what you like, you don't know (laughs) what what you you don't like. Right. So how are you gonna get a good pick? You know, especially the first time. Right. And you know, so I chose based on some very practical, what I found to be logical and even smart reasons. Yeah. For getting my degree, you know, it's going to have job security. You're going to be respected. You're going to have a solid education and something to fall back on for the rest of your life. Right. And I thought that that's all you needed. You know, I thought that that was the goal. You know, make a good amount of money, get respect from your peers, and try to have a productive life. But it turns out it's a lot more nuanced.
1: It is than right? that. You know, yeah.
3: who knew? And there's much more fulfillment in pursuing whatever it is that interests you. And it would just so happen that that wasn't an interest for me. And so then I kind of fell back because graduating college with a degree that you don't necessarily want to use and no backup plan. It wasn't as if I knew, oh, I really should be doing this.
1: Right. So you're kind of on a soul-searching journey. You know, it has
3: been that. Although I think recently, particularly the last six months, a lot of that has filled itself in. Really? Yeah. And there's really like, there's really some momentum that's bearing fruit now and it's kind of giving me a lot of direction i think but that all started with having the confidence to look everybody in my eye that i respected and that was good at giving me advice and had given me advice in my life and you know based on exterior observations might be doing very well in their own lives right right you know i had to i had to take completely different actions than what most of those people were advising I do.
1: Right. Um, You were were like way going off the the beaten path, right? You were forging your own path and nobody really understood what you were doing. And maybe I wonder even put doubt into your mind or try to instill doubt in what you were doing. And I think the reason you and Eric initially started connecting, which is when how you and I met was because Eric was kind of going through the same Same thing, right, Eric?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, when uh, when I was a little bit older, you know, my mid thirties was when that started happening for me. I I think I kind of skipped the quarter life Mm. uh, crisis just because I had already changed careers from like going from the Navy to like medical device sales, and so just kind of, I think I just kind of skipped that part because I didn't really know what to do. I just had to hit the ground running and start working. But I felt like it definitely caught up to me, though, by my mid-30s. I feel like I'm finally coming out of it. But it was a years-long transition for me.
1: But I think that's a good point to make. Like, right, Andrew kind of went through that crisis Mm in his 20s. You didn't have the option to have a crisis because you had to provide for our family. And you hit your crisis and changed your career again in your 30s. And it's interesting because, and to tie this kind of back to love and relationships and finding yourself and becoming the best version of yourself so you can then really uh, find a partner that's going to meet you there. Andrew is doing that kind of on his own right now. He's, He's wanting to be in a relationship when he knows he's ready. You and I getting married when I was 18... And you were, what, 22 at the time? Mm -hmm. We had no idea who the hell we were. And we had to figure out, you know, in the midst of being married and raising a family how we could present our best versions of ourselves to each other and be patient in the process of doing that. Wow. Right. And, wow. and that was so challenging. I bet it was. I, I'm sure, Eric, why don't you give an example of how challenging that was for, for you to find yourself in the context of our relationship?
2: Oh, well, I, uh, I felt like I was pretty emotionally, with my emotional intelligence, underdeveloped as a child just because mm-hmm. of how my parents sheltered me from being raised in a cult so
1: a lot of people want to know what cult you were raised in by the
2: way (laughs) oh i was raised in the jehovah's witness the watchtower and awake society yeah so i really just kind of learned like as a survival mechanism to just kind of wait things out like and and just kind of see how things develop and then when something When an obvious plan arises, then I would take that choice. so I kind of used that technique with almost everything, and even in my relationship with sonia i I found myself just letting her lead a lot in the relationship and me mostly being reactive and It worked for me at that time, but it wasn't sustainable though so once I started what Sonia did a really good job of like educating me when she was in school for psychology and I had a lot of questions for her as she was going through that. And it was just fascinating to hear what she's learning. And so, over the years that she's been a psychologist, I've learned a lot mm-hmm. and kind of pointed that inwards, trying to figure out myself along that process. But we had some interesting relationship dynamics that were completely unhealthy, but we right. made it work. And we eventually got out of it and corrected it, but...
1: Well, I think we didn't give ourselves the opportunity to say, hey, I can't have you in my life while I figure this out, right? Like Mm -hmm. we had made this commitment that we were going to figure it out because well, we had one child at the time. And and technically, it took us until recent years, like the last three to five years to really hone in on who we are. And I think we, I'll, I'll speak for myself and not for you. I didn't know who I was, what I was capable of, what I was going to be good at, and what my career in life was going to look like until I just started saying yes to things. Mm. And so, all like what led to building this practice and eventually building this podcast and the books that I'm writing and all that stuff. It was just opportunity that presented itself, and and I said yes. And one of the things that really helped was that you gave me the ability to be messy. Like mm. we had no ability to know if the risk that I was taking was going to pay off, if the risk that you were taking was going to pay off. And like you, Andrew, you had no idea that the risk that you were going to be taking to kind of leave behind the safety and security of your job to figure out yourself was going to pay off. True. And we're all still figuring it out.
3: Yeah, no, we are. And I think we get it. Everybody's decisions, I think, are different for the most part, but we can all relate to that pivotal moment where you get to that crossroads and you have to make a decision and you don't really know, but you got to listen to that feeling in your guts or that voice in your head, whatever it is for you. And yeah, I just hope for the listeners, if you're at a point similar to that or you can relate to this in a present way, then I would just hope that you can find that courage to really listen to yourself, try to practice showing up for yourself in that moment Um, And in future moments, by making the decision that feels right for you or seems like it's in your best interest, even if it is contrary to seemingly good advice from other people that don't have to live with the consequences, right?
1: Oh my God, for
3: sure. And then that, yeah, I think like you said, showing up for yourself
1: in an individual
3: way inherently helps you show up whenever you're in a relationship for another person. Mm -hmm. So building that exercise and building that muscle of showing up for yourself in difficult and unsure moments, I can only imagine translates really well to when you're in a similar situation with another partner
1: oh yeah you
3: in your personal relationship,
1: I think we have this idea of this vision of of what life is supposed to be like and and this is why you know we call it quarter life crises or mid life crises. I like right. to call these existential crises sure. it's And you can be at any age when you go through this where like an existential crisis is I'm questioning all the decisions that I've made. I'm questioning what culture and society has told me I have to do and I have to be. And I'm still fighting that. Like, even though I can say wholeheartedly, like, I know who I am in the context of my environment now and and who I want to be until new information presents itself. I still have a lot of people who say they love me and are telling me that you're a mom, so how dare you work full time and build a business? You should be mothering you should be mothering right yeah. like and so then you internalize that guilt, or you know how am I showing up as a wife to my partner when a lot of times I come home after all day listening to really hard things, and like I need to be alone right sure. so you know, you go through all these different questions that you ask yourself and you do really have to be willing to be judged right. and you have to be willing to be a little bit lonely.
3: Right. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Like, especially the being judged. I think that's something, you know, I'm a younger guy, 25. I talk to y'all, you're a little bit older than me, so you're a little bit wiser than I am. You've seen some things play out more than me. But I think for young, young people especially, you should be able to relate to that feeling of being judged. Just because we're at that point that I've been referring to where you've got to make so many decisions that are going to impact the rest of your life and you're not sure how to do that. So you seek, you go for, try to find accomplished people if you can, or maybe just anybody that you have a decent relationship with and respect and ask for advice. And, you know, you might decide to do something that they didn't say, which inherently might make them a little bit upset or it might judge you um, or they might think you made a poor decision. And you have to be able to live with that. I think that that's so important.
1: I love that you say that because every choice you make has both benefits and consequences. Yeah. And I think we look at life and decisions and we're like, it's, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. Sure. And I think that there's just a way. Right. And you have to kind of go into any decision you make because none of us have a crystal ball. And you have to look at it and you have to say, you know, I'm choosing this, but I don't know. If all the benefits are going to be as great as I think they are, or, and I don't know if right. all the consequences are, are going to be what I can handle. Sure. Right. Yeah, um, definitely. And I think taking a risk on a long-term relationship is a huge gamble, especially right. <laughs> now, especially Welcome to now.
3: My fear, uh, right. Welcome to my fear. Yeah.
1: We'll explore that.
3: Yeah. We'll definitely, we'll definitely get into that, but you're right <laughs> because you want to invest in somebody, what you are doing. If you're really, truly investing in the long term then what that means is there's going to be individual sacrifices that are going to be necessary to feed
1: the group now. And you're going to change. Your partner's going to change.
3: Exactly. And they're going to influence me and I'm going to perhaps influence them as well. Well, you hope.
1: You would hope that there's like some influence going back and forth, right? And we're growing at the same rate. Positively at at the most
3: part. So then how do you decide who's the right person is? And Perhaps there's a tremendous amount of parameters that we can get into, but just that dance that goes into finding a good partner for you that will have that longevity right. and also hopefully yield that productive fruit. Like you make my life better as in, in the long run overview of things, even though we've right. had rough patches, didn't always get along. We've had our fights as a group, as a net score, we're better together.
1: I think that that is a choice right i think it comes down every day cuz there's times and eric i know you can say this where like we get in a fight or you and i couldn't be more different like i am <laughs> yeah. i am super productive very traditional very like driven and motivated and i'm always going and always doing and you're very much like when I met you, you were living in a 1969?
2: Uh, it's a 66 VW oh. microbus. Yeah, he That's was right. living
1: in a VW bus down by the river. No, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like he, was, he, was, he was living in um, Ocean, Ocean Beach, Beach, California in San Diego County. And um, <laughs> he literally oh, had right. a mattress in the back of his VW microbus. <laughs> And he would, yeah. he was in the Navy. So he would go surfing all, but he would go to work at, on the ship and then he'd come get in his microbus, and go surfing for the rest of the night and then barbecue and go to sleep. Whereas I'm like, I'm going to go to this <laughs> university. That's and, wonderful. you know, so, and even to this day, you still embody that kind of laid back, carefree personality. So there are times when our differences really show. And I feel like we have to make that decision every day. It's not every day that I feel super in love with you, but it's every day that I choose to be in love with you and I choose to work through the messiness. And I don't know, the, the interesting thing is people will ask me, they'll say, you know, I if I would meet my partner today and not 10 years ago, I don't know if I'd choose them.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I could say probably the same for us. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we walked into a bar and saw each other if we would connect of who we are now?
2: I think we would only because, only because I got to a point where we both started advocating. Well, I think me more so uh, because I didn't know how to advocate for myself as well in the relationship mm. early on. But as I got older, I started advocating more for my needs and what yeah. I want. Yeah. We started working with that in our relationship and we were able to like come together closer to our neutral For both of us Mm -hmm. to where um, we've been able to navigate the same path with maturing.
1: Yes. And I agree with you on that. But there's a lot of people on here who are listening, who are trying to decide, is my relationship worth salvaging? Mm -hmm. If who I am now, who I'm becoming, who I want to be, what if my partner doesn't have the same desire to grow? Right. We're growing on different paths. We're on the same path, but on different speeds. How do you know it's time to keep choosing each other? Or how do you know it's time to call it quits?
2: We've gone through that so many times. Often on the same path so many times. In fact, there's stuff that we've got going on right now that we're not on, like, not on full agreement with. But like, we always tend to like, course correct and keep coming back to the center, though. You know, both mm-hmm. of us.
1: Yeah, like you want to pool and I don't.
2: Yeah, but that's just a no for now.
1: Not spending hundred k on a pool. It's not happening for now. For now, right?
2: That's interesting. See,
3: that's as you know, the young single guy that is trying to articulate some of his fears about why not to get in a relationship. That particular problem is a massive stimulator for me because you are choosing now, right? But you're you're following through with your choice later.
1: Yeah, absolutely right yeah yeah. and
3: so when you're young you've got things like lust you got things like the moment you just got so many distractions that are influencing that decision and so my fear has just always been and i do come from a family that's you know we're a divorced family and so i kind of saw that family breaking at you know i was 15 my little sister was nine or 10 years old and that's always been a fear in the back of my mind. Like if I get into a serious relationship, I don't want to put my kids through that same thing. Yeah. Well, then that means you're going to have to have a good pick or you're going to have to be able to live with that pick for you know, as long as, as you're alive and as long as you can be together. And so as difficult as it is to then try to decide should we salvage, I think it's just as important on the front end to decide what am I looking for? And to really weigh the long-term implications of those, yeah. of those things that you're looking for so that you're less likely, because it's probably somewhat inevitable, to get to that point later on in life where you're questioning, yeah. you know, if we just met a bar right now, I might not even be attracted to you. <laughs> right. Because I would imagine a lot of people feel that way.
1: They, a lot of people feel that way and they have a hard time talking about it, right?
3: Yeah, especially if you're like, because you can kind of look at a group and you can figure out which one's got more. Yeah. Poll in relationships. More true. options, that's perhaps, true. is a better way of looking at it.
1: But I love how you brought up, you know, coming from a home uh, where divorce happened and you were in such a pivotal time of your life. You right. don't necessarily want to take the risk of choosing someone building a family with them. And then what are the implications going to be for those children right. if it doesn't work out? And I do think right. a lot of people choose to stay in relationships because of children, right?
3: Perhaps. And that's, maybe that's a good thing. You know, even if it stinks yeah. for the people that are in a relationship, I think what's unfortunate to a degree about having kids is they trump just about everything else going on in your uh, life. Yes, and, they do. Some,
1: even your sexual and personal life. I um, bet, especially our little cock blockers. <laughs>
3: yeah, I they are. <laughs> but there are 81 cock blockers for sure.
1: <laughs> they are. And,
3: you know, kids. They just have this way of being the most important thing. And if they're not treated that way, then there's really, really long-term implications. And I feel like when you have a child, your responsibility to the best of your ability is to set them up for life. And maybe you don't do that if you divorce. You know, and then sometimes you could argue that getting out of that sort of dynamic and having two healthy individuals that are separate, mm-hmm. you could make an argument that that's probably maybe better for the kids. But I think a lot of times you get parents who stay together together for the sake of the kids, quote unquote. But very often that ends up building some resentment towards the kids. Right. Which then creates more problems for the kids. that wasn't their fault in the first place. Right, exactly. Right, so it's, it's not always so obvious and clear cut what to do, stay together or to get divorced, which is even more reason to be very what would you call it? Careful. Cautious. Cautious, that's a good word. At yeah. the beginning when you're making these decisions.
1: But not always like does somebody but, know like what is motherhood gonna present and how's it gonna change me, well, right? Like who I you? am now. I have no idea of knowing how I'm gonna change or how my partner's gonna change. But I think to, I think to your point, this is a gray, messy area. And when somebody's going through a really hard time, they want these very clear black and white answers of what to do. And sure. There is so much nuance to making a long-term decision and sticking with the long-term decision. But as a marriage counselor, my biggest thing is is that people spend more money and time planning the wedding than they do evaluating who each of them is, what their families taught them about love, what their families taught them about sex, their ingrained values. They don't spend enough time talking about that. And I think we're seeing a change in, the, in you know, the millennial generation and, you know, Gen Z. I think there's Gen X in there. I don't there, know. You know. Gen Whatever.
2: X is older than oh. millennial and then Gen Z. Right. Well,
1: I'm glad you know. But I think we're seeing, like, younger and younger couples going to therapy True. more so than we saw couples yeah. in our parents' generation sure. doing premarital counseling and getting more and better information and wanting right. to educate themselves. Right. But the average couple waits seven years after the onset of issues to go to a counselor. And so the research through the Gottman Institute showcases that couples who go to premarital counseling actually see a reduction by 30% in Mm -hmm. divorce rates because you have a better idea of what you're getting into because you don't know what you don't know. We all kind of operate off these ingrained belief systems that we're not really conscious of. Right. So going to a counselor's office, which I love that people have their church and things like that. Do you have to really make sure, like, if you're making a lifelong investment, you are getting the right education. The, the information. Yeah. And don't be critical. afraid to pay for it, right? You want to get a good counselor right. who's going to ask you a lot of questions, who knows what they're looking for.
3: Yeah, divorce is expensive, so... I, I, cool.
1: have, I, I know a lot of people that the average divorce is $100,000. That's amazing. It's incredible. When you think about like, choosing a counselor that with some intensive work, it's going to cost you between seven and 10000 right?
3: Right. Which is a lot of money, to be fair. But you know, to your point, again, it's like there are some things in your life that really dictate the quality of your life. And a long-term
1: relationship is one of those things. 100%. Like, you would never buy a car because it was super cheap and hope that it like ran well wow. and you weren't going to get in an accident and, right. and it has no airbags Because all and stuff the stress
3: yet. about what's going to happen if I get in the car today is it going to break down on me? Every right. sound you hear is going to drive you crazy. Right.
1: right. It's Literally the same with that thing. Type that of
3: anxiety. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, oh, she's just playing the music too loud. Or there's the darn hair blower again.
1: <laughs> the you hair guy, The, and the and hair, hair blower. <laughs> <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. and then you
3: just start getting all those little things that make you irritate your quality of life just goes to crap so it makes sense that investing on the front end like you said the godman institute's research found yeah. a 30 percent reduction yeah in divorce i mean that's three out of ten that yeah. seems as if it's
1: especially when divorce know, like is time. five out of ten right now right, right?
3: <laughs> right. yeah you, the odds are against you unfortunately yeah. from the jump so it sounds like a smart investment um and you know to people my age it's relatively lonely going about it the way that I have. I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this route to everybody because I think that there were certain factors in my life that made me prone to being able to survive this sort of- Dry you know, spell. Rela- Yeah, exactly, dry spell, like relational dynamic with the world. But it has helped that I've really improved my other relationships. Yeah. So it's not as if I'm devoid of them. I've still been trying to improve them with my sisters, for example. Um, I've got three little sisters that I've been trying really hard over the last six months to have consistent
1: relationships where they can
3: trust me, even something as simple as like texting me that I'm going to text them back because I wasn't always a very good brother, if you will, or a good partner in my relationships. And there was sometimes doubt about those things. Like if I call him, is he going to pick up, you know, if I need something, would he come help? And I decided I don't want those things to be the case anymore. So I've still been building relationships yeah. and investing in them and trying to improve them. It just hasn't been yeah. A
1: romantic Do you remember when you were in my kitchen and I made you take the attachment quiz yes. <laughs> from my I'm book? Sure Attach- i
3: anxious. What did, what did you I say? I think you were there?
1: anxious, avoidance. Anxious,
3: avoidance, That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, like you wanted love and you wanted connection, but at the same but time, I'm it terrified was scary. Of it. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah you're exactly.
3: That's it. right. That's me. That's me. I'm I'm the lover that is afraid of love. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I mean, that's a good. That's a good synopsis of it. Yeah. And so that fear just, again, I think does tie back to seeing my family get divorced. It it goes mostly to never having a, what I would call a good model for a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I always try to praise you guys for is giving me that. Eric's very much like my big bro. And it really Mm -hmm. has taught me so, so many things. And a lot of that is just me getting to watch you guys just for being around you. We made pizza tonight, for example. But I got to see y'all's family dynamic because, you know, the kids were down (laughs) We were all eating, and I got to tell you, it's very interesting. This group of people will definitely be entertaining. If you ever get to come hang out and spend a night with them.
1: At the Jensen house.
3: At the Jensen household. Yeah, and this beautifully new constructed home you
1: guys have. thank oh, thanks. Andrew. Yeah,
3: no, It's awesome to be here. But even those little things, like just being at dinner with you guys. Lots of stuff like that I didn't really have growing up. And that's not necessarily a knock at my parents, because I recognize there's many things they didn't have growing up either. So, going back to what you were talking about with good information, sometimes it's important to remember not everybody has that.
1: They don't. Right. Like, In
3: fact, most of them don't.
1: I mean, I came from a household where my parents are still married, right? Sure. And I can't say that like as soon as Eric and I got married, I had I had the best picture of mm. what a healthy relationship was. I think I just did what I always saw.
3: Right. And who doesn't? Right?
1: And who doesn't? But I had no idea that that could be somewhat harmful to him, because his right. needs were different and our dynamic was different. Yeah, you're not your parents. You're, not, you're not your parents at the end of the day. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope that this conversation helps you understand that, like, life is meant to be lived every day. And it's meant to be lived in a way that's authentic to you. And to figure that out, you have to be really comfortable with messiness. Sure. Not knowing. Mm-hmm. Learning. And then do and making choices every day that's getting you to the place that you want to be, like aligned with your values, right? Just,
2: uh, constant course corrections, constant, course constant
1: corrections. course corrections, and knowing that nobody can tell you exactly what to do with your life and yeah. you have to take a leap of faith to figure those things out for yourself. Right. And Eric and I have had to eat. Eat it. So many oh, yes. times yes. to get here. People look at where he so had, much failure. Yeah, people look at where Eric and I are at now, and they're like, "Wow!" And then we make it look easy, but it's like we had to. We had to work so hard for so the last suffering eighteen years <laughs> to yeah, get you here. Tell
3: you was laugh. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of suffering. <laughs> there's a, for a lot for of experience it. behind that. For, oh, for yeah. eight, Eric
1: and I met each other eighteen years ago, October wow. 11th.
2: Wow.
3: So,
1: wow. I mean, that's, I was 16 when Eric met me. Do yeah, don't, do don't do the <laughs> math. I am Don't do the math. Very lively individuals.
0: <laughs> well, thank raised. you.
1: <laughs> At, Andrew, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, it's it's always fun. so fun to, to listen to your insight, and you're always so fantastic with your authenticity. So, thanks for bringing that. And of course, babe, thanks for being on here too. And just staring at Andrew and I, while we talk, we'll get a selfie and put it on Instagram.
2: (laughs) I actually like to listen more than I like to talk. So um, that's why I need him in
1: my life because I (laughs) I, I listen for a living and then I come home and I just like throw it up at him. And he's like, okay. It's like, I never stop talking. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. If this was impactful for you. Follow us um, on Instagram at the Sonya Jensen. Follow the podcast, uh, like it, share it with your friends, Love and Sex Unfiltered, and we can't wait till we see you next Monday.
0: There you have it. If this episode hit home for you, take a second to share it with a friend, screenshot it, and share it on Instagram, or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to learn more tips and stay connected with Sonia, follow her on Instagram at Jensen. And if you want to find more information, you can check out her website at www.sonyajensen.com. Until next time, remember, stay real, stay unfiltered, and dig deep.